Well, hi and welcome to the Conscious Leaders Podcast. Well, 2020 was certainly an interesting year, one that showed us a lot of great leadership, as well as some pretty terrible leadership too, I'm sure you've witnessed. I started this podcast because I wanted to showcase the best in people leadership, so those who are pushing boundaries to support their employees alongside driving those businesses. So people had a really strong philosophy, as well as a story to tell around it but could also give us really practical examples that others could learn from. So on this special episode, I've picked out a few highlights. Now these moments are really moments that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since the interviews, so I hope you enjoy them. First up is from episode two, where June Corey, who runs My Mustard, shares a bit about the recognition that people bring their whole selves to work. Life's difficult. I, I remember when there was probably about, th- maybe only three or four of us in the team, and at the time, I hadn't been very well um, and was going through chemotherapy. Somebody had a very ill parent. Somebody had a very disenfranchised child. And somebody um, was saving very hard um, and for, for a mortgage that they couldn't really afford. Mm. That's what that you don't leave that at the door. You bring that with you. Bring that to work. But, but, and, and, that's, and that's just, I think there was a bit of a, yeah, this life likes hide, hard. Um, but I think it's okay. I think it's okay to sort of how you're feeling, you know. Mm. How's, your, how's your dad today? Well, actually, had a lousy night. It's yes. okay to do that as well. Um, and again, I think in corporate life, there's a leave it at the door. You know, we're here to work. We're here to do something. Yeah, that's not live. I've got family here. Mm. I've got family that we just happen to work together. Um, that's not to say I think it's okay to talk about Love Island for now because it's not, <laughs> if you're listening, team. But um, I, th- I think it's really good to know that you are a human being. Mm. So people a... bring their whole selves to work yes. and um, and you see your role is also to, to care for their wider yeah. person as yeah, well as... Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it sounds a little cliched and yeah. cringing a little bit, but yeah, I do. I do really care about these people. They are my family. They are my work family. Yeah. spend hours with them. Hours yeah. and hours and hours and hours and hours with them. I get such a genuine vibe from June. She cares deeply about the people she works with and exudes positivity for others. It's really inspiring. Check out her episode three for more about how she encourages people in her team. So next up, we've got Daniel Hung. He's CEO of Satalia, an AI company. He allows a ridiculously large amount of freedom in his company and for his employees. So with all this freedom, I asked him a bit about boundaries and what the benefits of allowing more freedom at work are. There are some people, things that you don't know that you don't know. And, uh, and when, when you give people freedom to make decisions, um, if, they, if they don't have certain pieces of information, they, 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 they might make bad decisions. And you see this in some organisations where, for example, they create... Um, they give people like a two thousand pound training budget. So here you you speak of, you can spend two thousand pounds each year on training or a thousand pounds equipment budget. And I guess what they're trying to do there is that they're trying to give people freedom to be able to make choices, but they've created a, a boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we have some of these um, examples within Satalia, but when it comes to things like training and pay, uh, we are trying to adopt a principle of complete freedom so how can you give people total freedom to be able to make those decisions uh so to be able to spend as much as they want on training and things like that um mm-hmm. with um without having these these fixed boundaries and uh and and that's really the tension um is how do you give people total um, total freedom but enable make sure that people don't make these um these existential um decisions that, that 
that can bring the company to, to, to its knees. So we do have some boundaries, but the idea is that we need to actually remove those and we can remove those through guidelines, through various other things as well. Um, uh, there, there are some, I'm trying to think of some other examples that we've experienced recently um, where people have felt like they know um, about a particular domain, but they don't. And, and again, they've, 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 they've started to make decisions that, they're, that really they're not capable of, of making. Um, but the, the point is, is that by by capturing this data, by monitoring it, we can identify those problems and then we can solve them. Mm. So we, we treat Satalia very much like a, an experimental playground. And the, the default is let's give people as much freedom as possible, as much transparency as possible, and then work backwards. Mm. And what's the benefit of that? What do you see in terms of you know, staff motivation or kind of enjoyment at work or or maybe you know, innovation or things like this? Yeah, so I think there are, the benefit is that is that people do make better decisions because they have access to information. Do you think the main better decisions? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, there uh, there is also a reduction of politics because you don't have one person um, making the call over another because they've got more power than than, than, than them. Um, so I would like to think that we have zero politics. In, Sounds in wonderful. I'm sure it's not true, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, but um, it, it also um, helps us to not have, a, a, have egos within the company as well. And, and really, we're just focusing on how do we make the best possible decisions and, and not what's necessarily benefiting me, me as an individual. I particularly liked hearing how these methods reduce politics. But also the decision-making culture is very non-egotistical. So there's a real culture of making decisions for the widest possible benefit. That's pretty powerful. And on the subject of decision-making, Tom Tapper in episode four, CEO and co-founder of Nice and Serious, he talks about how they managed to achieve a collective type of decision-making in a system they called the moral compass. How we make decisions on the work that comes in. So we, um, we've we created a uh, an online application called The Moral Compass. And The Moral Compass is all about democratising decision making within a business. So um, how The Moral Compass works is that um, we as a business establish kind of purpose statements. So statements that relate to why we exist as a business. And then every single brief that comes through the door, we vote on based on the extent to which that brief aligns with our purpose statements. And um, it's a completely anonymous process. So people will read up about the client and the brief and they'll then be able to vote using a Likert scale. So the extent to which they uh, agree or disagree with the statements and then a very simple algorithm generates a percentage which shows me as a decision maker the percentage alignment of the team based on the brief so it basically is a anonymous and objective way to decide whether the briefs we work on align with our purpose and when the moral compass generates a score of 51% or above, we work on a brief. If it generates a score of 50% or below, we decline to work on it. Mm-hmm. So, so your staff are basically voting on whether you should pick up this work or not? Yes. So the staff um, have complete control over whether or not we yeah. work on projects or not. So. Um, and how did this idea come about? Was this, was this your idea? Was this come from the staff? Because it's quite a lot. I mean, it's quite brave, I suppose to be like, you know, we could lose this job and I would have to deal with it because they voted. Yeah, so it's kind of, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an idea that came from the staff. So it's, okay. I mean, but it's, I think the, the how it came about, I think is, is so important because 
we built the tool um, in a slightly different um, kind of like way, but it was basically created five years ago. And it was a point when we were four or five years into the business at that point. And essentially the way that we made decisions, the key decisions as an agency, who we work on and who we decide not to work with was purely, was done in a very traditional way. So it was a conversation between Ben and I, the two company directors behind closed doors. Do we think this project's going to be right for us? It was as simple as that. Mm. And obviously, you know, given the nature of our business, we were considering the ethical implications. But I, I think really Ben and I were, we were kind of impacted in the same way that I think so many business owners are impacted because at that point in time, the company was growing quite quickly, um, our overheads were growing, and as a result, we had more and more pressure to win more work, bring in more clients. So we saw every brief that came through the door, every, you know, whether it's we found the client or the client came to us, we saw everything as a great opportunity to help us cover our costs and to grow the business. Mm. So at that point in time, we were so focused on the day-to-day running, the day-to-day finances, that we, we'd kind of started to forget to ask those questions about really is this right for us you know does this brand genuinely want to have an impact or is it just a bit of kind of window dressing to make them look good and you know and we didn't really have because we didn't really have anyone to answer to we were just taking on work any piece of work we could have you know and was something being lost in that process just taking it any old piece of work do you think I, i think i think it was like i mean it was still you know everything was to do with sustainability and to to do with causes but we weren't scrutinizing the brief so as a result um, you know, we'd found ourselves working on projects that were a bit questionable with brands that arguably weren't really having to trying to have create an impact. They were brands that were trying to use this to just make themselves look good. And actually, it took our team to start calling us out on it. You know, I, I think we were working with a big fizzy drinks brand on some project about bottled water in Africa or something like that and it, it did have like a social purpose angle but it just it clearly it's wasn't thin. about yeah, it's yeah. a bit thin and you know <laughs> yeah. you could kind of smell it really and, yeah. and the team started calling us out on it they were like guys you know we've we've come from perhaps bigger companies bigger agencies we've often taken a salary cut to work here yeah you know, we don't want to be working with these big brands that don't you know that, that aren't really trying to create an impact yeah. so you know ben and i had to do a little bit of kind of soul searching and think well okay well how do we try and get around this so you know we, we literally just put the question back to the team on a weekend away we were like look it's a kind of creative problem this you know yeah. ben and i created this agency because we want to make you know work that the world needs perhaps we're not at this point in time or some of those projects aren't how do we solve it and you know the the sort of team as a collective we came up with the idea that really you know that you know the moral compass of an agency should be a you know the collective moral compass of everyone who works there that that's all the business is like you know we erect these edifices around the idea of like the limited company to kind of distance ourselves from the reality which all it is is a bunch of people with their own kind of value systems and stuff yeah. and and actually we need to create a device that allows people to express their own personal moral yeah. compass on everything that we work on so it was sort of it felt like a very logical conclusion yeah. to the I guess it's a way you can apply it you can combine company values with personal values to make yeah. a decision because that is a challenge I think for businesses to get you know, to get the personal values linked so that they are shared mm. is a challenge that exactly. people have. And, you know, we hear it so often that people saying the same thing, that they have to leave their values or they have to leave their ethics at the door the when door. they go to work. And this idea that your, your professional self is different from your personal self 
in 2019 feels absolutely laughable. It feels like Tom is really making waves in an industry which has seen more traditional cutthroat approaches to leadership. Next up, 2020 saw Black Lives Matter take the stage as George Floyd's death produced an outpouring of public letters and announcements of people showing support for diversity in their company and industries. I'm sure your inbox was as full as mine with those announcements. However, Shanice Smears, co-founder of The Elephant Room, wasn't impressed by Adlan's response or the advertising industry. She shares about her response to their letter here. I mean, I don't know if you've read the letter, but I like I named like... Brianna Taylor, Trayvon Martin, Ahmed Aubrey, like the, the like Philando Castile, Eric Garner, like the list goes on. How many people have died for you? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like George Floyd is one of very many names that you know those injustices has happened to, and now you want to say I'm sorry, not sorry, but be accountable again. Now and you're it's waking like, up. Yeah, and I. Just, I just, I just, for me, something about it that was just really uncomfortable, to be honest, like, especially as a black person who constantly feels like you always get told you have to work twice as hard, or you always get told you can't have your hair that way, or you always get told, oh, make sure you don't speak this way, or you're always constantly, like, this chip on your shoulder, or you have to be armoured up because, you know, you don't want people to think that, you know, you're from the ghetto, or you're from, and it's like, we constantly have that battle on a daily basis and that's not right so surely you'd want to just end that like it doesn't take someone dying for you to consider those things to be things you want to battle do you know what I mean like so did it feel like a a PR exercise in itself when you read it um, I don't know if it felt like a PR exercise it just it just felt like to me like this is just not good enough. That's all it just felt like. I just felt like it's not good enough. Like, come on, like, 200 of you, like, you could have come up with something better than this. But at the same time, I do want to say, and know that it wasn't done with bad intent because the people behind it, like, there was counsel behind it and I know that it was, like, to finally say, no, you know what? we do need to do something and for that reason I can respect where it's come from but we have we just have to and this is not even about them and us or a we and me this is everyone I'm a part of the industry like hence why the elephant room does the work that it's doing because we're all accountable do you know what I mean like and the moment I I say stop doing the work or stop talking about stuff like that or if I didn't call it out then I wouldn't be doing my job do you know what I mean because you have to you have to recognize that this is not necessarily for me or you it's for the generations to come Mm. so that they don't have to be repeated of the same things or stereotypes or lack of opportunity or access because of the color of their skin or sexual orientation or gender or stuff like that so for me, it was just more about addressing something that needed to be, I won't, I won't even say called out. I don't like the word call out, but I felt like it needed to be called out in order to get momentum. Mm. And it sounds like what you're saying, and do correct me if I'm wrong, is that 
it felt like words and suddenly everyone's like oh we should hire more black people or something or we haven't done enough and it's a bit like oh now you're waking up and now you're making all these commitments and it seemed like a lot of companies at the time were doing the same thing yeah my I don't know about your inbox but mine was full of commitment (laughs) statements which was great um and, and it sounds like what you wanted to see was just action um but yeah. yeah, tell me, tell me, don't let me put those words in your mouth. Tell me what you did want to see um, or, what, yeah. or what you are or aren't I just, seeing since. I just wanted to see, like, without being rude, because I'm trying to just be polite here. Don't be that yeah. too polite. <laughs> but I'm like... You can be upfront. It's okay. Like, let's be real. Ten steps to being better. Inclusion and... Di- what? Like, it doesn't, like... This is not a DIY exercise of like how to put your table together. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't just write 10 steps and expect everyone to go away and be like, okay, got it now. Like to me, that's just very, very lazy. Like it's because as well of, again, let me be polite, but the profile of names and companies on that list, the best you could do was 10 steps. Like that's a joke. Like, come on now, like, there should be you guys should be demonstrating like examples of what you guys actually practically have done and and using case studies to that and then bringing other young people I'm sure it was even a white person that wrote the article like at least get a black person to write it from their perspective to understand what's really happening the breakdown of language and addressing that you know what I mean take some accountability like this has happened before and now this like that's what I would have preferred to have read I'm like oh wow okay like this person's really like this person's really gone in and I'm glad I'm glad they showed that example and I'm I'm glad they used that person as a case study to say okay yeah we did that makes more sense to me than saying oh yeah we pledged to give more um opportunities to black talent or non-white talent and also here's 10 steps to how you guys want we don't need to see we actually just don't even need to see that or hear that and I think like I said in the like I said in the letter like it is about company policy and about retention schemes and what you're doing to as a well-being offering like a lot of people went through a lot of emotional labor that like during that period a lot of black employees particularly what did you do for them then tell us what you did for your black employees that like do you know what I mean like how have you demonstrated that you are truly an ally in this and that for me is what is important like your hiring methods or even your firing methods like some people don't care about this and are you going to still align yourself with those people as a company like what like what does that say about you as an organization and stuff like that and values and mission statements and all of that can be put out but ultimately if you don't see the action Hmm. then it doesn't mean anything at all and finally andy woodfield partner at pwc gave us a masterclass on how to be candid yet compassionate at work i laugh because this was a really special interview and we since become friends he really describes how being candid with one of his senior managers but also with a client and how he's pushed back to protect his team. I really hope you enjoy this snippet. You know, I had one lady who I worked with. You know, I just, I knew she was, I knew she was really talented, but she was being really horrible to people. Um, and she had a process approval 
role. So there was a like formal process and she would have to review stuff and approve it. And she, she was clearly under a lot of stress and pressure because it was a new role for her. And she was making everyone's life hell. She was like being a proper bitch, right? And everyone's coming to me like, oh, well, they hate her. They you know, hate her. They were like commenting all sorts of things about her. I'm like, hang on, hang on calm down. Like, um, I'm pretty sure she's not a bitch. I think she's a nice person. She's just got herself in a bad situation. And I think mostly um, people can get themselves in bad situations. They're not usually bad people. There are there are obviously some bad people, and I have a list of those people. If we need, <laughs> if we need to go through, they're that. the axe murderers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I like, like I'll go and chat to her. Let me understand what's going on. So I chat. I went to chat to her, and I said, "Look, I know you're remarkably talented, but I've got to tell you that some of your behaviour is making making you look like a bit of a bitch, you know, to some people." She was, and she was horrified. And suddenly, she uh, opened up about stuff that was going on in her life, and and. She relaxed about her work and she became more aware of her style. And, you know, she changed her behavior because she didn't realize that was the effect she was having. Yeah, you know, I, I had a client once who was super, constantly super stressed, um, you know, and she just, she made my team feel absolutely awful in public and was incredibly rude to them um, at a level which I found unacceptable. And I don't agree with the idea that the customer is always right. I mean, if the customer is rude and offensive, that is not right. And you don't get the best out of my people by being offensive to them in front of your people. If that's the case, then let's not do the work. You know, that's not how we work. If you want to get value for money, you know, we need to work together and be productive and effective and, and professional and polite, straight, um, all for straightforward and super honest and candid. Um, Anyway, so I'd had a lot of complaints about her behavior, had a chat with her, and she, again, no one had ever challenged her before. Um, and I said, look, it's not how you get value for money out of my people. If you really think they're that rubbish, and she used lots of other words to describe that, which I won't, which I won't use. Um, if you think they're that bad, then let's not do the work, you know, or let's review the whole scope. She was horrified that they had felt so alienated uh she hadn't really appreciated how bad her behavior had got um and she revealed to me that she was having some real issues at home and she had a there was a, some abusive relationship stuff going on at home it was really horrible she actually became a really good friend of mine because i don't think anyone ever tried to understand what was going on with her ever before um about three days later, a couple of the team leaders called me and said, what on earth have you said to her? Cause she's like a different person. She's suddenly like this amazing client, like the best client we've ever worked with ever. And I said, no, I just, I just told her that her behavior was unacceptable. That's not how you get value for money from our people. And I tried to understand what was going on for her. And, you know, we chatted a lot about that and she's working on some issues and I'd like us to give her a bit of rope and some space to work through that. And I'm glad that things are improving. Um, so I think if you are candid and you challenge what can appear to be really bad behavior, you often find out that there's a whole story there that you were never aware of. And you can help sometimes by um, giving life to that story and trying to understand it and letting that person speak. Um, and that those moments, for me, those moments in my career have always been moments where I demonstrate my values and our firm's values. And perverse though this might sound, I quite enjoy those moments. I like to prove 
that what I say is true in my actions. You're and not I say this. Confrontation. Yeah, I mean, I say this a lot to clients. You know, I talk about our values and how we work. And I said to them, "Look, it's the first time you've met me. I wouldn't believe that either. <laughs> I really wouldn't. If someone said that to me, I wouldn't believe them. But I will tell you what, we'll do some work together. We will. We're guaranteed to screw something up. Everyone does. And you will see our values and what I've said will come true in my behaviour and our behaviour. And it does because we always screw something up and then we fix it. Mm. Sounds like people really open up to you. Do you find that in life? Yeah, it can be a bit overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, we spend so much time at work, mm. yeah, with colleagues, with clients. Sometimes it's just nice to be noticed as a human being. Mm. And if that means, you know, there's somebody there who connects with you authentically, that's a really good... I think, also, I think this is a time in, in the universe, if you like, to be real to be authentic you know there's nothing there's nothing to be solved going forward where we've got the answers to it anymore and yet all of our education has predominantly been about having the answer to everything but now everything going forward is about dealing with the unknown dealing with uncertainty dealing with resilience dealing with vulnerability bringing people together to explore options to fail to to explore to move to not perfect but to create energy and excitement so I feel like, you know, like now is the moment, like finally. We can be real. <laughs> we can be real, mm. yeah. Well, there we have it. Some of the highlights of the Conscious Leaders Podcast 2020. I really like how there are some consistencies around being yourself as a leader, allowing other people to be themselves as employees, but also take accountability and more decision-making at work. It seems that allowing the more human side of the workplace helps people enjoy it more. But these approaches aren't without their challenges. So I hope the episodes provide practical approaches about how these leaders support their strong philosophies to make work more meaningful for all of us. I'm your host, Ruth Franger, founder of Conscious Leaders. We combine leadership coaching with evidence-based mindfulness training to help leaders rethink the workplace. We're rebranding right now, so soon you'll better find out more about us at consciousleaders.org.uk.